All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in what we would call a theology uh, fire station. It's like, it feels like uh, everything's on fire, what in the world's going on, and then yet you dump all this water on it, and you're like, I, I think I figured out what just happened. It's kind of like when you come and assess a situation after it's happened, and that's really what the book of Isaiah uh, really, really is. It's a lot coming at you, good and bad. Right. When you say, Kevin, it's the fire in the water and you're kind of like, ah, I kind of have an understanding. Yesterday, we kind of laid the backdrop of this <clears throat> and we did this and I'm going to do this quite often. It's going to feel repetitive. and You're going to be like, man, I finally get it good. And if we get to that point here, you have Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah has what we would consider a vision. Isaiah has a word for the southern kingdom. OK, in this process, it's right before exile. Kevin, what do we mean by exile? Uh foreign country comes in and basically destroys everything and carries them away to captivity. And that's what's going to happen. Here you have the Assyrians, the king of Assyria, okay? He's going to come in and Isaiah prophesizes, hey guys, basically because of what's been going on, because of all your rebellion, remember we talked about this, God looking at his people saying, what has happened? Isaiah says, this is because, because of you've gotten to this point, you're going to be thrown into captivity. Some of you are going to make it. But not many. We're going to get even to that, 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 that thought process of a remnant, a few survivors. But it, there, it's important to have the few survivors because in order for, let me hang on here for a second. In order to see the hope, the restoration, the comfort in the process, you have to have a remnant because that remnant is actually going to bring forth the Messiah. So our word is Emmanuel in the book of Isaiah. Emmanuel means, Kevin? God with us. Look, as crazy and as chaotic as it is, God's going to actually show up in human flesh. Like you get to have this prophetic word and he says, you're going to experience it. Some here, I know that sounds super weird in Isaiah 7, 14, some here and, and don't worry, that'll be a fun controversial lesson in a couple of days and also to come. And so what you have is in this word that Isaiah drops, remember this, we have these three little circles, right? Kevin, you remember the first circle, what it represents? Current. The current situation, Isaiah says, is look, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, these four kings, Isaiah is giving a current situation assess, assessment that comes from the Lord. I'd say current. It's current and it's shortly coming. Shortly coming, which is talking about, you know, he's going to talk about the captivities. Okay? The captivity that's coming from the Assyrians. Okay? He's going to also talk about the Babylonians. Like, he puts all of this together. He's assessing the situation that comes from the Lord because he had a vision. Now, at the same time, he's going to talk about what we would call uh, the first coming. Okay, Emmanuel, God with us, is coming the first time. And he even talks about that. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be, if you want to go to Isaiah 7, 14, this is a cool picture. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel. God is actually coming here on earth. Now, when he's talking about this, is he actually talking about a son that Isaiah is going to have? Maybe. Could be, actually. But then is he also talking about the coming of the Messiah? Yes. So you have the first Messiah, meaning the first, there's only one, by the way. His first coming is what I'm implying there. 
And then we're going to get to this even today. There's another dot, you guys. It's going to talk about the second coming of the Messiah. So not only does the Messiah come the first time, first people, he goes through the death, burial and resurrection. Then eventually he's going to come back. And then here's something we didn't draw on our list here, Kevin, is it gets into the millennial. So when we get into first, uh, sorry, there's only one <laughs> first Isaiah. When you get into Isaiah, the first chapter, okay, he's talking about the court case, right? This is kind of important. Okay. Chapter one talks about the court case. And Kevin, what's the court case again? Uh, the Lord versus his children. The Lord versus his children. That sounds really bad. And oh, by the way, you're guilty. Okay. Now he gets to Isaiah two. He says the vision that Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. That's whose audience is, right? Verse two says this in the last days in the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Verse three. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of, of the Lord. We're in Jerusalem, you guys, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then finally, in verse four, it says he will settle disputes among the nations, provide arbitration for many peoples. Don't you even love the court language there? They will turn their swords into plows, their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against any other nations and they will never again train for war. Kevin. Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4 is in, it's in order to understand this, you got to have this picture of it is truly a millennial blessing. So he gives a really bad scenario in Isaiah 1. You guys are guilty. It doesn't look good. By the way, you're going into captivity. And then what he does is in a vision in verse 2, in chapter 2, he drops and goes past the first coming. You realize this, right? He goes past the second coming, really. We're not even talking right now about uh, the return of, of the Messiah. We're not even talking about the seven years of the tribulation, pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. We're talking about when it's all done and they're experiencing peace. This is what he's talking about. Okay, you with me on the time frame, Kevin? Yeah, I'm just trying to think as he's delivering this, people are going, what? <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't they? Like we're going, what? <laughs> I mean, would be. it would be like, look, I, I thought we were hanging out with like Hezekiah. I thought we were hanging out, right? With Ahaz or Jotham. And like, what are you talking about? Like, they'll never again train for war. Have you not seen our kingdom mess? Didn't you just tell us we're going into captivity? So what he does is, is it, look, man, I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's like the carrot. Hey, guys. I mean, that's what he's doing it, in four verses. In the middle of bad words, I mean, I don't, sorry, he gives incredible hope. I think that's really important to understand because what does he do in verse five in chapter two? Uh, let's go back to the judgment. <laughs> so I want to just make sure everybody understands. And really, uh, how do I, I want to do this. I'm going to do something different here in, verse, in chapter two, verse five, all the way through verses four through one. Okay. Hang in here, okay? Then all of a sudden, he's going to go back to what we would consider, you guys, uh, Judah is going to experience and hear about judgment. Okay, does that make sense? So here's what he's going to begin to talk about. In verse, and this is really kind of interesting. Uh, at the end of chapter five, I'm sorry, at the end of chapter two, like he gets into this big picture of judgment is coming from the day of the Lord. Okay, so before the millennial, Kevin, you ready with this? 
comes the day of the Lord. That's what the end of chapter two is talking about. Day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming on, and here it is, on Judah. It's coming on the southern kingdom. This is Isaiah's words. Now, again, I can't teach on all this because we don't have enough time. So I'm going to get jump into, uh, I think, yeah, let's jump into um, chapter three, okay? And in chapter three, this still fits into judgment, okay? So all of this still fits into judgment. And in fact, in the first seven verses, okay, there's a gentleman named Mark Copeland that has a great breakdown of, of this for me that's really helped simplify so I can communicate to you guys. The Lord is going to despise, uh, uh, let me just say, he's going to deprive, excuse me, deprive the nation of not only the supplies, but of good leaders. So now he says in the first seven verses, by the way, you guys have not only issues with your supplies, but man, I can't even find anybody that's going to lead this thing. Okay, does that make sense? So he's walking through this process. In verses 8 and 9, Kevin, if you want to go there, all of this is because of Jerusalem has stumbled, Judah has fallen because they've spoken and acted against the Lord. They're clearly defying his glorious presence. Verse 9, they look on their faces, testifies against them, and like Sodom, they flaunt their sin. They don't conceal it. Woe to them, for they brought evil on themselves. Look, may this be a word for our country. Please. Like, how are we any different at times when we say they flaunt their sin different than Sodom? Look, I don't even care. I do care. I care because I want our country to turn to the Lord. I want our country to realize judgment is coming on us, you guys. If we continue to flaunt sin in the face of God, in the fact that he actually did something for us, and we're saying, we don't care. When you have companies making money off of sin now, selling products, you guys, something's gone drastically wrong. In Isaiah 3, 9, the prophet says, woe to them for they brought evil on themselves. You guys, if nothing changes, we should expect this on our country. You can pick any sin you want and people are beginning to be okay with it. It's really sad and specifically in Sodom, you guys, they're talking about homosexuality. I mean, since when have we been okay with announcing that men and men can be together and women and women can be together? Like God designed man and woman. That's it. We can't have months of gay pride, you guys. What do we expect on our nation except judgment? Woe to us. And I just think, look, I know that Isaiah is talking to those from Judah. I get that. And he's saying, look, if you're, if you're going to keep this up, you're, you're just like Sodom. My point is, is like, look, there's hope in all of this. Praise the Lord. Amen. There's hope in all of this. But guys, we got to knock this stuff off. And you say, well, quit picking on the sins. Somebody has to start calling out this stuff, you guys. And I just want to make sure you understand. It is not just one lifestyle of sin. It's a lifestyle of sin and it could be in anything. Maybe you have a compulsive liar. I'm serious. Scripture talks about that. Maybe you have an issue with pride and that is your whole DNA. Let's just not flaunt it. And so here you have in Isaiah 3 that this is the progression that you can expect to see. And in fact, verses 10 through 11, uh, this is really interesting. And this is where their hope is. Tell the righteous that it will go well for them, for they'll eat the fruit of the labor. So you know what this means? Don't give in to the sinful lifestyle. God will take care of the righteous. They will eat the fruit of the labors. But in verse 11, it says, but woe to the wicked. It will go badly for them, for what they have done will bring, be done to them. In other words, don't bring upon more for yourself because you're walking in a lifestyle of sin. Verse 10 says, man, God will bless those that are righteous. 
It's kind of an interesting, cool picture, but these are the words that Isaiah gives. And then in verses 12 through 15, what do you expect? He says, youth oppress my people and women uh, rule over them. My people, your leaders misled you. They confuse the direction of your paths. When there are poor leaders, watch this, it keeps going. Verse 13, the Lord rises to argue the case and stands to judge the people. In verse 14, the Lord brings this charge against the elders and the leaders of his people. So he's speaking to the leadership of the southern folks in the kingdom. Okay, he says, you've devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. Here's what I think of. I think of dictators is what I think of right here. Like dictators that you send money to, you send supplies to help the country and the guy keeps it all for himself, like the mentality. Like I'm kind of serious here. Like the leadership reflects the whole country. Well, what do you expect? Poor leaders will be given to the people when they misuse their power. They will be judged. Like, this is the process that we're getting into. OK, go back for a second. Isaiah gets a vision. He releases a current situation. OK, and then in the middle of it, he says, hey, picture Mindy's painting. <laughs> can you imagine you guys can frolic in the fields and have fun? <laughs> and then the next thing you know, he talks about judgment. And he says, I can't believe you embrace this lifestyle of sin. You're going to get what you deserve. And he begins to walk through this. Not only do you have poor leaders, it just says, he says, and then it gets even worse. And then in verse 16 and 17, here's how you know it's so drastic. The Lord also says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, okay? The women from Jerusalem are haughty, okay? When we're talking through this process, uh, haughty is just like flaunting themselves, okay? Walking with heads held high and seductive eyes, going along with prancing steps, jingling their ankle bracelets. In other words, you know what this is, Kevin? To me, this is a woman who is more about their outside performance, outside look, uh, than what's in their heart. It's the opposite of Proverbs 31, woman. And it even says, one, one uh, Copeland even says, th- their judgment's coming for their haughtiness uh, and their wantonness. I know that's a weird word, but it's all about this sexual uh, uh, a- attraction that they try to create with their men just based on how they're dressing. They're going around with their prancing steps, jingling their ankle bracelets like, hey, men, look at me. I'm serious, you guys. Here's what's scary to me about when I read this. How is this any different than what we do in America? I mean, I can't go anywhere without like, dude, cover your eyes. (laughs) I can't go anywhere without my girls covering their eyes. Like this is just part of our American. This is us. People try to prove themselves by how tight of clothes they can wear, pants or shirts or none. Judgment is coming because of how we dress and how we seduce people. And in verse 17, he says, the Lord will put scabs on the heads of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will shave their foreheads bare. And oh, by the way, you're going to be ugly in the process. <laughs> right? That's what he says. These absolutely beautiful women have used their own bodies for the wrong reasons. And now for some reason, he says, now you're going to have to suffer for this. So, okay, this is your backdrop in Isaiah 3, uh, uh, chapter 3. Now, <laughs> Uh, I think we can actually jump to chapter four now. Okay. Again, there's more here. He's going to take away their finances. Okay. Just so you guys know, at the end of chapter three, uh, men are going to fall by their sword. So in verse 25, can you go there? Because this is important, Kevin. Isaiah three twenty-five. Okay. It says your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. So the, the ratio of men to women is actually going to get less. It's going to get worse. It's going to be more women, less men. That's important when we get into chapter four. OK, there'll be. Uh, and then Kevin at the end, verse 26, then her gates. So this is the women. Her gates will lament and mourn deserted. She will sit on the ground. Why? Because there's no men. 
The men are being killed off. They're trying to seduce, try to get to that point, but now they look horrible. And then it says in Isaiah 4, 1, okay, we're still in the current situation, okay? But he's talking about, Kevin, what? What's going to happen? Captivity, right? So because of all of this, because of what you've brought on yourself, sinful lifestyles, seduction, men getting killed, finances being stripped, poor leadership. Oh, by the way, you're going to actually have a hard time having kids now. And I'm not talking because of uh, like health issues. I'm talking about because there's not a whole lot of guys. So in Isaiah 4, verse 1, okay, I th- guys, we made it. We made it to chapter 4 on that day. Seven women, okay? Seven women will seize one man. Saying, we will eat our own bread and provide our own clothing. Just let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. Nelson's commentary says it this way. The once proud women of Jerusalem would have to beg a man to father their children and take away their reproach. They have no kids and they, and they need a, a man to be attracted to them. It's not so pretty now. And that's not a making fun of. Like, this is what's going to happen in captivity. Kevin, you got any thoughts? You know, in the middle of this, he, he jumped to the millennial. Is this even not only current? I mean, sometimes we talked about how they intermingle. Yeah, this is current and captivity. And is it... Yeah, it's coming into that. Is it even for before his second coming? Go to some of the the things that are going to happen leading up to that? Yes. I think the timing of this gets a little fuzzy because I think you can clearly say he's describing what's happened, but he says because of this, this is what's going to happen because he says on that day. So he's implying it's coming, right? That would make sense. So we know that if that's the case, it can't be the millennial because this is bad. That's good. So when does that fall in before I, in my opinion, Kevin, it's before the first coming. It's before he comes. It, this leads to the captivity mentality is, is my thought. And then Kevin, though, here's where it gets weird. Hit a pause break in verse two. Okay. Cause then all of a sudden in verse two, you have for four verses. Okay. You ready for this one? Hang in here in verses four, two through four, uh, six. What do we have again? The millennial blessing. This is what we're going to focus on today. So we've talked about some of the bad stuff. Okay. Hey, by the way, all of the lifestyle has led to this. But then it says in verses two through six, you're going to begin to see what, what Wearsby describes as the renewal of Zion, the reviving of Zion. This is the revived Jerusalem. Okay. On that day, the branch of the Lord will be glorious, will be beautiful and glorious. Whew. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of Israel's survivors. Okay, let me read through this and then I'll come back. Whoever remains in Zion and whoever left is in Jerusalem will be called holy in all in Jerusalem who are destined to live. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the blood guilt from the heart of Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Okay, (laughs) picture of the tribulation. Just hang in here. Verse five, then the Lord will create a cloud of smoke by day and a glowing flame of fire by night over the entire site of Mount Zion and over its assemblies. For there will be a canopy over the glory and there will be a booth for shade from heat by day and a refuge and shelter from storm and rain. You just see, you guys, a description (laughs) of the 
all the way up to the second coming and into the millennial in in four verses. Think about this, you guys. He says, on that day, the branch of the Lord, the branch, Kevin, is the Messiah. The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. I mean, this is the day, you guys, that he will judge the wicked. I mean, this is in that day, like judgment is coming. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, this branch. OK, a couple different things. It looks beyond that day that the, this is two things. The branch implies the kingdom's going to be established. OK, that's kind of obvious. And then two, Wearsby even says, Warren Wearsby says uh, the branch serves as Jesus being that shoot from the dead stump of David's uh, dynasty. Okay, which will come later. But here you have this branch that comes from the shoot of the Davidic dynasty, but it looks like it's dead. That's why you have this funny, odd comparison. Everything looks bad, but praise God, because of the remnant. I mean, I think that's really important. Because of the remnant, he shoots out, the branch shoots out, and he's going to establish beautiful and glorious environment. The fruit of the Lord will be the pride. Look at this. The fruit of the the land will be the pride and glory of Israel's survivors. When you think of the fruit, automatically you think honey, right? I mean, I know it's not that, but you think of like all the abundance vegetation. He's not talking about that. The fruit of the land is actually going to be the remnant. Okay, you with me, Kevin? Have I? So the branch of the Lord is coming. He's going to be beautiful in this process. Okay, now this is truly a picture of Zion being established. A messy, the branch, you guys, is a messianic title. Okay, I don't want to miss this. Can you go to Jeremiah? Uh, let's go to Isaiah 11, 1. Isaiah 11, 1 says this. And we're going to go through a couple. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. It's the Messiah. But look at that fruit. That fruit is described back, you guys, in Isaiah 4. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the Israel survivors. Isn't that crazy? So here's another Messianic title. Let's go to this. Let's go to Isaiah 53, 2. This is one of the, the, the chapters here that is very controversial in some circles. It says, now watch. It says, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at. No appearance that we should desire him. So this branch, Kevin, can I just say, is not going to be the branch that everybody's expecting unless you're in tune with the prophetic word. The branch is the Messiah. But can I just tell you, the branch doesn't look very great. It's not what we expect of all these kings, the royals and all how they look. Okay, let's go to Jeremiah 23. I know we just we left Isaiah for a second, so it's okay. Jeremiah 23, 5. Okay, Jeremiah 23, 5. It says this, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will raise up a righteous branch of David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. It's Jesus. It's Yeshua. So when you're in Isaiah 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, uh, in verse 2, he says, On that day, you're going to experience a renewal. You're going to experience a revival. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. God with us will be here. And oh, by the way, the fruit is going to be the Israel survivors that get that. It's going to be the remnant that embraces this message of Emmanuel, God with us, and his name is Yeshua. That's the fruit. And he says in verse three, whoever remains in Zion, in Jerusalem, and whoever is left in Jerusalem will be called holy. All in Jerusalem who are destined to live. 
God has clearly set apart a group of people. Clearly they'll inherit, as Wearsby says, God's um, prosperity in that day. Can I just pull off for a second? Just I, I got to go New Testament for a second. Can you go to John 15, verse 4 and 5? John 15, verse 4 and 5. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I hit, and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I actually believe Isaiah 4 is a foreshadow of John 15. I believe it's a foreshadow of the Israelites, God's chosen people. And he says, guys, I need you to cling to the branch. And then here you have in the New Testament, guess what he's saying? He goes, I'm the vine, you are the branches, I need you to cling to me. Does that make sense? Like there's a picture of us clinging to the Messiah in the old and in the new. And in that experiences and produces fruit. You guys, just a little bit ago, they were talking about the judgment. And he says, look, you have a choice to go the evil lifestyle, to take that path, or you can cling to the branch. And that's the fruit. Can you go to Zechariah 6, 12 for me, please? Zechariah 6, 12. This is a cool picture here. You are to tell him, this is what the Lord of hosts says. Here's a man whose name is Branch. <laughs> he will branch out from his place and build the Lord's temple. You guys... Major, minor prophets are all pointing to the branch. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, like all of this, you guys, alludes to the fact that even though captivity is coming, there's going to be something that shoots from that, if I can say it that way, that's going to give you hope. His name is Branch. His name is Yeshua. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Now watch, because of this, because of us embracing this, we become holy. The Israelites become holy. In verse 4 it says, now watch, when you are destined to live like this, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Now he's referencing the women again, you guys. This is, he's tying back to this. Like when you embrace the branch, it says he washes away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleanses the blood guilt from the heart of Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. There will be a period, okay? Whoo, here we go. Uh, the second coming, I don't know where to draw this. I'll just put up here, tribulation. There's going to be a period, you guys, that when he comes back, that he's going to actually start bringing about a cleansing. He's going to do it through a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. And then the Lord will create a cloud of smoke. After this has taken place, the spirit of burning, the spirit of judgment... The Lord will create a cloud of smoke by day. It's going to be an unbelievable picture, you guys. And a glowing flame of fire by night over the entire site of Mount Zion and over its assemblies. I mean, Kevin, do we not already, do we not already see this? Uh, back in Exodus, that was how they led the people. Oh, we saw this in Exodus, not only at, uh, at the Red Sea. We saw this at the tabernacle and we saw this in the wilderness. And now he says, oh, by the way, at the very end, God's going to reveal himself in the same way. And, he, and then he says, for there will be a canopy over all the glory. And there will be a booth for shade from heat by day and refuge and shelter from storm and rain. Every um, person is going to experience the presence of God. Here's the question. Which side are you going to be on? <laughs> but earlier on in this lesson, we talked about it all started with the lifestyle that we're living. And he called out how people were living, not only in the homosexual lifestyle, but in the seductress and, you know, being seductive, the adulterous lifestyle, uh, idolatry, all of these different things. 
he actually says, now are bringing judgment upon yourselves. But if you would only look to the branch, if you'd only look to the Messiah, he will give you hope and he will get you out of the situation. And it's just this constant prophetic word of judgment and blessing, judgment and blessing. And all I want to just say is I want to experience the blessing. And only the blessing can come from Yeshua. Only the blessing can come from the Messiah. Only the blessing can come from Emmanuel, God with us. And Isaiah says, please, children of God, look to him. Quit looking to yourselves. Because that's the problem. When you look to yourselves, you're in bondage. And that's the problem the Israelites are facing. And dare I say, some of us are. But the cool part is, is, and this is what he says, and this is what I can say as well. Jesus wants to come and give all of us freedom talk more about that tomorrow as we continue to walk through Isaiah 5 and 6 tomorrow.